The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. The eyes of the world, the eyes of the populations of the world are on you and we have your numbers. That lingering central fleas remains and we'll see what comes next. We need to make sure that what sits there on a piece of paper is actually going to turn into tangible, actionable projects on the ground that are going to make a difference to people's lives. You're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Ewan Potts. And good afternoon, I'm Caroline Hepke. Well, Omicron has everyone in a spin. Moderna executives say that the variants' many mutations suggest that new vaccines will be needed to combat it. Pfizer telling Bloomberg that that could take 100 days. And three more cases of the variant have been identified in Scotland. So, taking the UK's total to 14. Mm, the government says the Covid boost the booking system will be up and running in the next couple of days with invitations expected to be sent out according to age again. Plus masks are back as obligatory in shops and on public transport in England. Of course they were in Scotland and Wales already with the Mayor of England saying that people who don't comply will be fined and enforcement will be boosted. Let's not have a hokey-cokey when it comes to face mask wearing where they're going to review in three weeks time. As far as I'm concerned on public transport let's keep it mandatory. Well, Boris Johnson is expected to deliver a COVID press conference later on today. Well, joining us now is Richard Thompson, who is the SNP MP for Gordon, also the Shadow SNP's deputy spokesperson. Richard, welcome to the programme. Thanks so much for being with us. Masks are back in England, so matching Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland. Having said that, have they really made a difference in the nations and regions? Surely... As we all worry about Omicron, it is about compliance and enforcement. Well, good morning. And yes, I think they, they have made a difference. Um, that difference may be some quite difficult to quantify, but you know, all the studies show that uh, it does help to reduce the spread from person to person, which is, as we know, the only way that the coronavirus and its variants can spread. So I think that uh, what it does do is it ensures that spread and infection levels end up being lower than they otherwise would be. And that's why they've been maintained in, in Scotland and other parts of the UK. And I have to say that it's a reassurance to learn that they're now going to be uh, reintroduced in England on, on much the same terms. It does seem that a disproportionate number of uh, Omicron cases have, have so far cropped up in, in Scotland. Is, is that just coincidence? Is it, is it more testing in Scotland or do you think it's something else? I honestly don't know, and we're still trying to get to the, the bottom of it, because obviously, like the other variants of uh, coronavirus, it has, uh, Omicron has quite an incubation period. But the worrying aspect of it is that uh, the cases have not been traced back to travel to South Africa, in all cases, where the, where the variant first uh, was uh, notified. So the, the thing is, from, from that, is that you can conclude that there's a community transmission in it. Now, I think that we'll expect to see more cases uh, in the days ahead. There's another three cases uh, being uh, found that uh, was announced this morning. But I think we're going to see uh, quite an uptick in the number of cases, not just in Scotland, over the next few 
these, as I say, because of the incubation period and if it has become uh, part of our community transmission. Now, a lot of the um, health officials involved in this are saying um, in the UK, but in other countries too, that it is still about getting vaccines. The booster jab rollout across the UK sounds pretty ambitious now. We're expecting more details from Boris Johnson later today, but a booster after just three months and it would be all people over the age of 18. I mean, this does look, again, ambitious, rolling up, um, speeding up to the sorts of levels we saw at the height of the the rollout of, of these jabs? Well, yes, and I think it, it needs to be. I mean, there are two main defences that we have against the, the coronavirus. The first one is uh, social distancing and reducing the opportunities for the virus to spread from person to person, but also the vaccination programme to date. And the worry would have to be that uh, vaccines turn out to be less effective than they have been previously. Now, I know that we're developing antivirals, which can reduce the effects of symptoms, but this virus is one that seems to be able to mutate quite uh, quickly and quite rapidly. And while the early indications are maybe giving us uh, some slight cause for optimism that the Omicron variant is not necessarily uh, as as harmful to health as as it might have been, I think there's no room there for, for complacency. So, yeah. Absolutely, we need to ramp up the efforts to get people boosted. The appeal I would make is if you haven't had your first, your second uh, jag or even your first, please go and get it because this is one of the main means, main weapons that we have in our armory in order to be able to live with this virus and to have life back to as close to normal as it, as it ever can be under the circumstances. This is potentially a, a very rapid ramping up. Is, is Scotland, is the NHS in Scotland re- ready for this? Well, yes, but I think there's a difference between where we are at the present moment and where we were when the uh, when when the vaccination program began. And I would be, I think that all four NHSs across the UK will be in similar positions because the NHS at the start of the vaccination program was effectively an emergency mode, and uh, you know routine surgeries cancelled. We've been getting the NHS in Scotland and right across the UK. It's been moving back to some kind of semblance of normality to try and deal with patient backlogs for for routine surgeries and, and, yeah. and other, other other interventions. So we can't simply deploy the same amount of resource as was put in straight away when we had the mass vaccination centres. But I know that the Health Minister in Scotland comes a use of who was on Radio Scotland this, this morning and we're looking at all the means that we can bring to bear okay. to try and ensure that the, the booster vaccination programme can roll out as quickly as is, as is humanly possible. Okay. Um, Scotland and Wales, Sturgeon and Drakeford um, wrote to the government wanting uh, all travellers to isolate for eight days, take two COVID-19 tests before they could come into the UK, i.e. tougher measures. Government swiftly seemed to reject that. Is it rather easy for the nations and regions to, to ask for sort of tough action when they don't steward the whole UK economy? I mean, that, that's the issue. They don't pay a political price, in other words, for an abundance of caution. Well, you'll appreciate that as an SNP MP, I would really, really like uh, the Scottish government to be carrying the responsibility for all aspects of the, the, the Scottish economy. Um, but nevertheless, we have the constitutional set-up and wiring that we do. And I don't think that uh, there is a political insulation from the consequences of calling for that, because quite clearly the, there are there are consequences and people are critical of, of calls that are made like that if they feel it's going to damage their, their interests. But I think the most damaging 
thing that could happen to our interests is, given the incubation period of the Omicron uh, variant, is to only do day two PCR testing when that will at the border when that will fail to pick up many of the cases that are coming in. Now, it may well be that Omicron turns out not to be, as I've said, quite as bad as some other variants we've seen, like the Delta variant. That remains to be seen. But what we should surely be doing is removing as many opportunities as possible for the virus to further mutate, because the more community transmission we get, the wider the spread of the virus goes, the more variants you're likely to get, and we might not be quite so lucky with the next one. So I think that's why I would always err on the side of caution here, and the eight-day PCR testing, the five days of isolation, would be, I think, the prudent thing to do. And I would much rather be doing it now than being bounced into it uh, further down the line. Are you not worried about disrupting people's Christmas plans, people's travel plans, when perhaps, you know, well, clearly the virus is already with us, isn't it? Clearly the, the, the variant is already spreading, as you say, in the community. Well, yes, but you can limit the spread in the community. And you can, but I think I, what my eye is to everybody's Christmas plans, everybody's ability to go about their, their business as normally as they possibly can. And I hear much talk uh, in the Houses of Parliament, particularly about the need to live with the virus, as if that's not what we're doing. That is exactly what we are doing. But proportionate measures applied at the right time is what will allow us to keep what control we can over the virus and its variants and allow us to get on with uh, as close to normality as possible, including, as I very much hope, a, a Christmas that we're able to spend with uh, those who we wish to spend with. Yeah. Uh, okay. so that on the virus. I want to ask you about another issue, though, um, after COP26, the focus on, on climate change. Um, the Canberra oil fields, Nicola Sturgeon seems to oppose this now. There looks to be a split within the SNP on oil exploration. Should it go well, ahead? I've been, quite, I've been quite clear throughout this. I very much support uh, intervening to to ensure a just energy transition. And what I mean by that is to harness the, the skills and expertise that's currently in the oil and gas sector and to enable that transition to renewables, but not just the transition of the jobs, but the transition of the energy demand. And that's not a binary case if you switch one industry off and the other one comes on. Oil and gas are going to be an important part of our energy mix for some time to come as both fuel and feedstock. So I'm quite clear that we're going to need oil and gas as part of our transition to net zero for, for, for some time to come. So you're in favour of uh, drilling then and and of getting those jobs. And that's a very controversial issue, isn't it, when it comes to trying to trying oh, to no, meet the UK's net to, zero I, want, well, I, I think in order to make the just transition work, what we need to do is you don't, it's not about choking off supply. It's about encouraging demand for other forms of fuel and getting their cost basis that they, that, that, they, that, that they can be adopted by industries and, and consumers. So there's really, really important developments happening in renewables and in hydrogen. But let's be clear, the North Sea is a declining basin and any further extract, exploration only reduces the rate of extraction. Uh, sorry, only, only um, slows the rate of decline. It doesn't actually increase production. So there's no route to net zero that involves shutting off the North Sea or shutting off exploration. But you don't get to that net zero or that energy transition by shutting off the, the supply. It's by changing the nature of the demand. And that's where governments really need to be focusing their efforts if we could make that transition in the way that we need to, both for the environment, but as well uh, in terms of retaining.
feeling the and industrialising economic benefits that come from it. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. Well, let's take a look at what else is making news in the world of politics. The Prince of Wales has formally acknowledged the, quote, appalling atrocity of slavery in the Caribbean, saying it forever stains our history. Prince Charles was in Barbados to witness the island nation becoming the world's newest republic. The monarch, who from this morning is no longer Queen of Barbados, sends a message to its people with her warmest good wishes. Meanwhile, the MI6 chief, Richard Moore, known as C, has warned of China's debt traps and data traps in his first live broadcast interview. He told the BBC's Today programme that the fall of the Afghan capital, Kabul, was not an intelligence failure. He also used the interview to signal closer links with technology partners, saying that he planned to speed up the vetting process for new tech-savvy recruits. He says the decision to speak more openly about his work was important in a modern democracy. Well, after all the barbs, France is preparing to offer Boris Johnson the outlines of an agreement with the European Union on migration. It comes less than a week after President Emmanuel Macron slammed the Prime Minister for not taking the issue seriously enough. The French Prime Minister will write to Johnson on Tuesday to suggest they work on a pact with the EU after at least 27 people died crossing the channel trying to reach the UK. Well, let's get some analysis now of today's big political stories with our Bloomberg Opinion Editor, Therese Raphael. Therese, great to have you back in the studio. So look, the government's response to Omicron, it's certainly been faster than in the earlier pandemic, but the question mark is, will it be enough? Yeah, I think the key for Boris Johnson's government is not to be vulnerable to the accusation that once again they you know, waited too long, uh, did too little, and had to reverse um, or react. So he'll take the criticism on grounds that, you know, potentially uh, you know, they overreacted. Some people might accuse them of that. But better that, I think, from this government's perspective than uh, being accused of not having learned the lessons. Um, you know, that said, he's not gone to plan B, uh um, of the uh, you know of of the pandemic planning, he's not. There's no lockdowns. You know, basically what they've done is increased masking, increase the pace of, vasca, uh, of vaccinations. Um, you know, change some of the travel rules. So you know, in, in terms of the sliding scale of impositions on people's lives, daily lives, I don't think we're you know anywhere near what we saw um, earlier in the year or or last year. So uh, you know, th- that's good news for a lot of people. Um, but it also suggests that there is um, a ways they could go to tighten things if it came to that. I'm really putting a lot of focus on the booster program. I think something of a, of a surprise how quickly they want it to ramp up and extending it 
uh, not just to slightly younger people, but to the entire adult population, and and cutting the the wait to, to three months, which I think was was much is much more than was expected. Yeah, I mean and that's a completely sensible response because one thing that is, I mean, we we there seems to be agreement on the fact that Omicron is more transmissible than Delta, and that's already saying a lot because the Delta variant is so highly transmissible. It has been the dominant variant, um, you know, since it. It, it, since it really took over, um, uh, was it last uh, summer, really, la- early last summer? Um, we don't know to what extent the vaccines will be less effective, but there is a lot of speculation. We heard from the Moderna uh, chief as well that uh, they're expected to be less effective. So getting more vaccines out there is at least providing some level of defense against Omicron. It you know whether it's enough, we we don't know yet. Um, and also accelerating boosters because the difference between a second dose of the vaccine and the booster shot is is you know pretty substantial. And for many of those who've had their two doses, it's already been five you know six months uh, for some people. Mm. So you know accelerating the booster reducing the time between the second shot um, and the booster, all of those things are very sensible measures. Yeah, but but as you say, still a reluctance, for example, to make people work from home as they were advised yep. to do for a long period. Nicola Sturgeon, the First Minister of Scotland, Mark Drakeford, Welsh counterpart, um, saying that they want much tighter travel restrictions. That, I noticed, was sort of instantly rejected by government is that a measure, do you think, of the pressure that they perhaps are under? Because, um, you know, Sturgeon wanted, and Drakeford, wanted eight days of, of isolation, so a lot more. Well, it's interesting because we see such variation in terms of quarantine and isolation periods around the world. I mean, Hong Kong is imposing three weeks, um, as is Beijing, but Shanghai is, I think, two weeks. Um, you know, it's it's hard to... to to know what, what it, you know, what level of restriction is really grounded in the science. I mean, we know that um, at least with the Delta variant, you know, you're infectious or most infectious, um, you know, between day whatever it is three and seven, or for for a short period. Uh, but then measuring, you know, when that effectiveness infectiousness takes place, um, it probably requires a greater degree of isolation. What's clear is that this government doesn't want to start taking measures that are going to impose economic costs just when the economy is trying to rebound, just as we're going into the Christmas holidays. I mean, already the travel restrictions are probably going to, you know, put a cramp on on Christmas. Certainly, you know, people going on ski holidays and things, mm. um, you know, that that's already going to have an, an effect. So, you know, the government is trying to take incremental measures, stopping short of the ones that are going to be the most costly. Um, but we'll know in a couple of weeks whether more is needed. And, you know, it, one could argue that it's sensible at this stage, you know, to accelerate the vaccinations, the boosters crack down on on uh, masking. And, you know, there have been uh, really you know, appalling lack of masking in a lot of the country, given, you know, the, the risks that uh, and the and you know, the rising cases that we've seen. So those are all very sensible measures. And you could argue that, you know, he needs more data before he starts taking, uh, you know, uh, uh, other measures that are going to have a, a serious economic impact. Hmm. I mean, less than less than four weeks now to Christmas, presumably the government will be really, really keen 
that we don't have a repeat of of last year. We we got right up to the right up to the, the up close to Christmas before the government really had to pull down the shutters last time. So they will be, I guess, hoping that really doesn't happen again. Yeah, notice that Boris Johnson, whenever he's asked about Christmas, the only thing he'll say is that I can assure you that this Christmas will be substantially better than last Christmas. <laughs> yeah. So very careful not, formulation there. Not difficult. <laughs> uh, well, let's move on and talk about another issue, which, I mean, with the government at the moment, there are a number of very significant ones. France's Minister for European Affairs really ramped up the rhetoric over channel crossings. Things got very heated, obviously, after the deaths of 27 migrants. I mean, he slammed the British economic model, saying that it was tantamount to modern slavery and that that was the thing that needed reform. And yet on the flip side now, we've learned, Bloomberg reporting, that there are early signs that there could be a deal, that there could be a letter from the French government with the sort of outlines of a proposal. I mean, this has been really an issue full of a a lot of spite and a a lot of um, issues between the UK and France. Yeah, it's so hard to unpick the politics from from you know the the policy questions around there, and there's a lot of both of it. I mean, there's you know certainly a, 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 a a lack of trust is, to put it mildly, um, that undermines the attempt to find a solution. Uh, there are, you know, we know, um, you know, obviously both sides have an interest in uh, in throwing the blame across the channel at the other. So we've seen all of that. Um, you know, also their interests are not aligned, you know, in that, you know, France is probably less worried about those leaving its shores than Britain is about those coming in. And so that creates a misalignment. You know, all of that said, there is no solution unless they work together. And there's probably no solution without without the EU, the broader EU being part of it as well, because France doesn't want to agree to accept returning migrants um, uh, unless there's a broader uh, EU distribution system um, as there is through the through the Dublin system, but it just doesn't seem to work very well. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, what comes, what sort of proposals come through from France as expected um, uh, Tuesday, and and what the UK government's response is to it. But you know, also keep in mind that there is a bill going through Parliament that substantially rewrites um, uh, the UK approach to migration, and you know, in many ways, is going to make things harder because it uh, effectively criminalizes a lot of um, you know those who arrive here through illegal routes, um, although they have the right to claim asylum. It uh, it it puts them further down in the sort of the pecking order and allows the uh, home office to discriminate against them vis-a-vis other kinds of claims. So, um, you know, that's on the horizon and that may just make things worse, certainly for the migrants. Therese, it'd be good to get your thoughts on the Labour reshuffle. It seems like a pretty bold uh, reshuffle by Keir Starmer, but little detail which seems to have been shared with his deputy, Angela Rayner. Yeah, I mean, you know, you want to say ask really is 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 Corbynism completely dead in this Labour Party? Mm. Is he still trying to kill it off? Um, I mean, I think it was smart to bring back Yvette Cooper. One has to wonder why she hasn't mm. been there um, before now, because she's such a um, an effective uh, and experienced voice in the party. Um, but, you know, clearly what everyone has focused on is the fact that, you know, his deputy was left really, you know, 
very high and dry as she had to try to explain why she didn't know that this was coming. And so instead of a positive story of a reshuffle, which he probably wanted to get out when everyone was busy talking about Omicron um, and to try to take advantage of Boris Johnson's dip in the polls, he ends up, you know, really calling more attention to, uh, you know, his divisions within his own party. So I'm not sure this has really worked uh, the way that Keir Starmer wanted it to work. Um, And, uh, you know, Boris Johnson's probably you know, not feeling all that uh, threatened by this at the moment. Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.